Hey, everybody. Hey, guys, doing this morning? Praise the Lord, right? Should I move down there? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's cool. Hey, we just want to say again, always, as stand before you, just humbled by your love for us. And it's so awesome as the body of Christ that He so fills your heart with love that you could just say to people you've had one conversation with that you love them because of what the Lord's done. And so just, again, I just love you guys. My family loves you guys. We appreciate you guys so, so much. This morning, if you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. We'll read verse 8 and pray. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you this morning, Lord. Lord, our hearts are so full of worship for you this morning. Lord, for all that you've done for us, how far you've brought us, Lord. As we look back on the past, Lord, it's so evident. All the work in your fingerprints, in your arms, in your mercy, in your grace in our lives, Lord. So we praise you and we thank you off the bat. God, we ask just for your presence mightily upon this place. God, we come each Sunday not just to gain knowledge, as wonderful as that is, but to meet with you, Jesus. To hear from you, Lord, as you speak to our hearts through your word. So, Lord... We pray you would speak. We humble ourselves before your mighty hand. We ask for your grace to fill this place. May all those, Lord, that are held by guilt and condemnation be set free this morning. Oh, heal, Lord, in this place. Thank you for the healing that's taken place already. We love you, Jesus, this morning. As a congregation, we love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, Britt last week, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and a wonderful thing and a wonderful shepherd's heart, as he looked at the verses coming up in Colossians that deal with marriage and relationships, he wanted to lay the foundation to accomplish those things and make those relationships a reality in all of our lives. And I love that. And so, I seek um, just to undergird his message a bit. And so we look at this theme of grace, of grace. Now, if I went on a trip and perhaps somewhere by a lake, a little quaint cabin, I don't know, um, and uh, I'm to be there and, you know, I'm out walking around in the cool morning and listening to the birds sing and I come upon a painter and he's got a canvas and he's face the lake, and the lake's amazing, you know, it's just still as glass. And so the painter takes his brushes and he begins to paint what he sees, and it's beautiful, it's moving, and you look at it and you go, that's amazing, I want to do that. I'm going to paint that. And so you ask him, what brushes do you use? What materials, what kind of canvas, how thick is it, how big is it? 
What kind of paints? Who makes them? And so you run to the store as fast as you can and you pick up the same exact tools that he has. So you put your easel there and your canvas upon that and you begin to paint. And you watch him, how he moves his hand and the strokes upon that canvas. And then at the end, as the paint's drying, you look at his painting and you look at yours and you realize you're no artist. There's a giant gap. There's a difference. And it can be so frustrating. I've got everything. I've got the tools. And so Britt spoke to us about the filling of the Holy Spirit as we learn relationally how to put those things and make them a a reality in our lives to love our wives, to love our children, to be men, to be husbands, so we can have those tools and so necessary to have the filling of the Holy Spirit in the same way that how great it would be if that artist came and lived inside of us and painted through us. And so that is the filling of the Spirit. And so the theme of grace would simply be that what is pain that which is painted on the portrait. Grace. Because grace is so important for us to understand. So important for our relationships. First of all, it's so important in our relationship with God. The grace that's there. To realize that we don't owe God anything. We can't pay God. And to realize that sets us free. And then to take that grace that we've received from Him and shed it abroad and pour it out and spill it over on other people. And so... We seek to study this theme of grace this morning. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul speaks of unity. And unity among the brethren. Unity among us. Us in this room. He deals with that form of relationship. And then he moves on in chapter 5 to talk about marriages. And to talk about raising your kids. How to be a good employee at work. And so, as he deals with those themes and those chapters, he builds a foundation for those themes uh, in chapter 1 to 3. And the, and, the, and the theme that runs through those chapters is the theme of grace. And so we hope that this ministers to your heart in a mighty way. We need a proper understanding or view of grace when we see how God's grace impacts His relationship with us. Our relationships with one another will in turn be mightily impacted the theme of grace, it's, it's important to understand, it's very important to the heart of God. Uh, as it's important in the heart of a father uh, that his son and, or his daughter learns certain things, so it's important in the heart of God, this theme of grace. It says in 2 Peter 3.18 that we need to grow in grace. And uh, in Hebrews 13.9 it says that we need to be established in grace. That, that that's a foundation for us. In 2 Timothy 2.1 that we are to be strong in grace. And we don't get strong unless we work out, right? You know, you got to do it. I don't know. That is the thing. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, that we're to speak with grace. And so important is this. Now, there is a sense of failing when you preach on the, on the theme of grace. A sense that uh, is evident uh, uh, in my life and as I had it on my heart to teach this. And in that sense, it's because I speak on a theme much greater than myself. So glorious and so eternal is the reality of grace that I am just beginning and all its amazingness to comprehend it. 
I'm just beginning to scratch the surface of this grace. And so there's so much more that can be said about grace. There's so much better that can be said about grace. But I trust as the Lord directs by His Holy Spirit this morning, these are the things that need to be revealed in our hearts and that we need to come to the understanding of. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up in the church and and, uh, I heard the word grace quite a bit. I heard the word grace in, you know, conversations. I heard the grace... Uh, word grace in songs. I knew people named grace. And, and so, you know, I, I, I heard it a lot. And it became a Christianese word to me. And so people would ask me, well, what is this grace? And so, you know, as you grow a little bit, you get older, you start to figure things out. And so you come up with a couple working definitions. And you've heard these time and time again. And uh, uh, the first definition that we hear is that it's God's riches at Christ's expense. And truly it is, you know, grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. And then we often hear, and, and how I would respond, somebody would ask me what grace was, or perhaps I would teach it, His mercy is not getting what I deserve, but grace is getting what I don't deserve. And so I'd rattle those things off. People would come, well, well what's the grace of God? Oh, well, it's, you know, and just rattle those definitions off. A man of God, love this guy, came to our church once and spoke, and he gave the gnarliest homework Ever. Uh, What he did is he said, I'm going to give you 20 words and I want you to write a paper on each word. Full page. And so he gave the word salvation, mercy, propitiation, sanctification, justification, because he wanted us to, you know, is this what we know? And so I took that up. You know, I'm young. I want to know. I want to learn. And so I took that up and I wrote about salvation and I was so excited and I was so excited to come to this word grace because everybody told me, oh, you're so gracious. You have a gracious personality. And sadly enough, I could only write these two definitions down. And three quarters of the page stared at me and burned into my soul. And finally I realized that I did not understand what this grace was, this word that had become so familiar to me. So familiar, so around it, and yet when I sat down with it, I realized I didn't know what it was. Let me give you an illustration on grace that maybe will help us understand a little better. Now, half of this story is true, but the other half isn't. And I just want to set that, set that out right at the bat. Now, the true story, uh, the part that's true of it, is that we were invited, my wife and my kids were invited when we first moved up here to uh, Brit, Brit and Kate's house for dinner. And, and we went over there and we talked and had some chit-chat and, you know, dinner was getting ready and he was really stoked about something. And so he said, hey, Josh, come here, I want to show you something. So we went out to his garage and I'm looking around and, you know, he's just kind of staring uh, at this, in this one direction. He's kind of standing, you know, how he stands and, you know, just looking and, and kind of a thing. And I finally catch his eye and see that what he's looking at, it's this dirt bike. And it's like gloriously clean. It's like uh, you could eat off it. Are we going to eat dinner here? You know, kind of a thing. And, um, but he, we just stared at it. And there was just like this silence, an understanding silence. We were in the presence of... A machine. <laughs> and so, and so, you know, I kind of went, oh, that's, that's cool, all right. And so we went back inside and, and everything, and our friend Cody, he does sound, Cody Jones, and uh, he came over to that night, and he came over a little later, and so as soon as he got there, Brett was like, hey, Cody, come here. Well, I want to show you something, you know. 
So we went out to the garage again, and Rick just stood there again, and Cody looked at it, and he's much quicker. He's like, oh, is that an XJ11? You know, kind of a thing, you know, and, uh, and everything, and they, and they talked about it. Now, <laughs> now, here's the part that, you know, is not true. Let's say Britt asked me to house it for him. He's going out of town with his kids and Kate and... And so we're house sitting there, and I, you know, he's got his bike, and it's up on the racks, and you know, I, I don't, I'd really like to take it out, but I don't, you know, I didn't ask, you know, and I just, I don't want to, I don't ride very good, you know, and bad stuff happens, you know, and so, you know, I make it through the whole whole time that I'm there, but it's the last day, it's been gnawing at me a little bit, I want to get it out there, you know, just a little bit, just to say, you know, feel the wind in my face, you know, kind of a thing, and so finally I go out to the garage, I can't take it anymore, and I get that bike and I try to start it. It takes me an hour because I don't know how to turn it on and, you know, kind of a thing. And so finally I get it out there and I'm going around the block and I'm having fun. This is great. I should have done this earlier. I'm careful. I'm, I'm not speeding or anything. Uh, but, but all of a sudden I see a vehicle. It looks like it's Britt's vehicle. And so out of panic, you know, I hit the throttle and I'm just blazing now and I lay the thing down. It just skates a past scratched up across the asphalt and concrete it hits the curb and I'm just laying there I'm like oh no this is the worst thing that's ever happened in my life you know I can't believe that he's pulling up and I just totally trashed his bike maybe I can uh, you know maybe I'll just keep it on the one side and tour of horrors here comes a big old garbage truck hauling down the road and he sees it and swerves and just totals the thing just destroys it breaks it into bits so I'm laying there and Red opens his door and he gets out and he makes sure I'm okay and he looks at me and he looks at his bike and he looks at me and he says, hey, I just want you to know I forgive you for this. I forgive you. Is there anything I can do I need to pay for? No, you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to pay for it. I forgive you. Just don't worry about it. I'm just glad you're okay. Now how cool would that be? How cool would that be? But you know what? That's not grace. That's mercy. See, I deserve to pay. I deserve to get him a new one or, or ten or to get fired. What is grace then? Grace is getting a knock on the door the next day. I go downstairs and I look through the peephole and there's Britt and he's got his arms behind his back. I'm like, oh no. Why is his arms behind his back? What caliber is it? You know, kind of a thing. He's changed his mind. But I open the door and he pulls out a dirt bike helmet. He says, here, I want you to have this and I, have, I want to show you something. And on the trailer is a brand new dirt bike and he says, I want you to have this. It's yours. We can go riding together. Learn how to ride first. <laughs> you see, that's grace. That's well above and beyond. Mercy, yes, we don't you know, uh, uh, get what we deserve. We deserve so much. But grace is so great, so incredible, that it gives us so much more. And that's the grace of God. That's His grace. Um, Spiri Schaefer wrote a definition of grace that I absolutely love. He says, Grace is the measureless expression of God's unlimited love. Grace is the measureless expression of God's unlimited love. How awesome is that? That it is the expression to us of His unlimited love. How much is unlimited love? It's unlimited. Do you realize that? 
How incredible is that? Now, grace is multifaceted. It's like a diamond. You take a diamond or a precious jewel, and it's got so many angles, and all those angles together just make it what it is. It's beautiful. And today we're going to look at five things, but so much more can be said on grace. So much more can be said on grace. But I hope that as each aspect is another stroke on that canvas, we see clearer the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That as each stroke is laid down, our hearts are overwhelmed by the fact of His great love for us. The first aspect of this grace that I want to focus on today is in Ephesians chapter 2. And notice with me, in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, he says, "In you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. He's going to speak on the great theme of salvation by grace. That it's a gift. That it's free. It's free to us. He's going to speak that there was nothing that we could do to earn this salvation. There was no work that would be acceptable to Him because He's a holy God and the best of our righteousness is filthy rags in His presence. There was no payment that could be made that we could do in ourselves to earn His favor, to earn His love. He is just loving. And so as He goes through, He lays this foundation that we were dead and He made us alive. Now, in the Bible, I find no greater picture of our condition before we met our Savior, Jesus Christ, than the picture of leprosy. And leprosy in the Bible, it's throughout the Bible. And leprosy is a terrible, incurable disease. In Leviticus chapter 13, the priests are given how they're to respond to this. And so, let's say that a father, he's got his family, his kids, he works every day, and one day he notices as he gets home from work at night that there's a little skin irritation. It's, 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 it's whitened a bit on his hand and he covers it up with his sleeve and he pretends it's not there. And as he wakes up the next morning, the first thing that he checks, the restless night of sleep, and there it is and it looks like it's grown. And so he begins to panic, but he waits. Because could it be this? Could it be this leprosy? And soon he can't hide it because it is spreading. And so he goes to the priest. And he shows the priest his sore, and the priest examines him in a room. And they take measurements on its size, and they look at it, and then they put him in that room for seven days. And you can imagine as his family would bring him food all that week, the anxiousness in both the wife and the husband's heart. And at the end of the seven days, the reexamination. And if that has spread, if more flesh has been opened and exposed then they declare him a leper. And so he is to put on the garments of mourning. He is to have an unkempt beard. His hair is to be ruffled. And now the only words that he will speak for a long time will be those words that he must say at the top of his lungs, unclean, unclean. And so he goes off, never to hold his kids again, never to put them to bed, never to kiss his wife on the cheek, to cuddle her. His life now is just a waiting period for when that disease will take him. So he goes off and as there are other lepers, they have their own society. 
Perhaps they pretend that it's not as bad as it is. Perhaps they say, you know what, we can get through this. We can, you know, we'll, we'll come together. There'll be a cure. There, 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 there's something. They're working on something. But every time one of the close friends would, would die when the disease would take them, they'd be faced with it all over again, that this is my only future. This is the reality of my condition. This is my destiny. And the hopelessness that would eat away, the discouragement that would live in that heart. And my friends, so we were. As sin had rule and reign in our lives, so it was an incurable disease. And no matter what we did, no matter how we pretended or how we wrapped ourselves and pretended to be, to have our societies to dance and to frolic, Soon we would be faced with the future and the dilemma and the desperation and the hopelessness of our true condition that we were sinners and as much as we tried, there was no way that we could meet the holy standard of a living God. And so our hearts would come to that realization. And so beautiful, so beautiful is in verse 8 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. Yes, that He made us alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And in the same way a leper couldn't heal himself or find healing, he, the only thing, as it says in Leviticus chapter 14, was a miracle. Or God intervening on behalf of that leper. That was the only way that he could seek that healing. And in this room today, we are a people who bear that curse of sin and bore that curse of sin. We are slaves under it, for the wages of sin is death. We all took that up and deserve that judgment. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, gave His Son in our place. He took it. He bore it. He paid for it. So that all we have to do is come to Him. All we have to do is believe on Him. That's it. And we're saved. We're set free. We're cured. Like those lepers in Luke 17 who went away rejoicing. They called out to Him. They said, Jesus, Master, be merciful. And so it is at the foot of the cross as we cling to that cross we find life. We're made alive. His blood washes our sins away. Where once we were dead yet we've been made alive because of the glorious grace. You see, it couldn't be earned. It's a gift. If you ever receive a gift and somebody wants payment for it it ceases to be a gift. And if we could ever pay for our salvation in the past It wouldn't be a gift if we could ever pay for our salvation now by what we do for Him, by the things that we think that He loves and are so great it would cease to be a gift if we could in some way in the future pay for our salvation. It would cease to be a gift. It is all by Him alone because of His great love with which He loved us. So we come to that cross. Nothing in my hand I bring, only to your cross I cling. And we find salvation. We find life. And in that, like those lepers who went away rejoicing, we worship because of it. Oh, how grace awakens that in us. Notice that the motivation for saving us was love in verse 4. He says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, 
Notice that salvation, as we've talked about, is a gift. At the end it says it is the gift of God. Notice that it's not of works because our tendency would be to boast in verse 9. Not of works lest anyone should boast. Oh, how we would love to have a part in it. But our part is so, so fall short. So fall short to His glory and His standard. And so He took our place and He bore our sin on that cross. Notice that we didn't have any merit or were deserving in any way. There was nothing that He saw in us. He said, Ah, oh, He's got, you know, I can, yeah, I'm going to get this. Oh, yeah, He will. Now, they're good. They're just a little. No, it says in verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses, even when we were dead, He made us alive. He's good and He's wonderful. God didn't choose us for our future potential, you guys. God chose us because He's in love with us. He wants us. You see, the law said, do it. Do, do, do. And the gospel of grace says, done, done, done. It's complete. It was done on the cross. That's why the thief could look over at the Savior and say, remember me this day. And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Why? Because of the finished work of the cross, not because the thief all of a sudden went out and did a bunch of things. So the thief found salvation. And so we too all find salvation in that way. The wonderful gospel of grace. And we could stop here. I could live the rest of our lives on our faces just that we've been saved. That we've been shown this mercy. Oh, how it should well up in our hearts. How we should be the most thankful people. How we should come to the communion elements in humble and awe as we hold that broken bread and that poured out wine that representative of that body that was broken in our place. Oh, we so deserved it. I hope none of us in here think we deserve the salvation that God has given. I hope we don't think that we just needed a little bit of salvation. Oh, because the foot of the cross is level. You see, for some... Uh, you know, uh, uh, you get a broken arm. And, and for some, sin is like that. It's apparent. Here they're coming out of immorality and all these things that are apparent that God has the power to transform a life and save us from. And so we look at that and we say, yes. But for me, in my own life, growing up in the church, you see, my problem was hidden. It was internal bleeding. And as I looked at all those who had the broken limbs that God was restoring and healing, those who had, you know, I looked at as great sin and, and, and all that, I was dying inside. I was dying inside. Because I had the sins that were so abhorrent to God, I had pride and oh, how I loved my pride, how I loved myself. I had deceit on my tongue and deceit in my heart. I was truly a tomb that looked beautiful outwardly but was full of the deadness inside. And it wasn't until He revealed by His grace and mercy my true need of Him. And it was like a flash of lightning illuminating a landscape. You see it for an instant, but an instant is enough. And I saw myself in my condition and in the wretchedness of my own pride and my need for a Savior. And I clung to His feet and He saved me and He changed my life and He poured out His grace in my life. 
And so it is for all of us. We could fill this room. We could go for weeks in the testimonies testifying to the goodness of God and all that He's done in us. That He would save a one such as I. You see, it's not that some need Him more. It's only that some are apparent and more apparent of their need for Him. But we all need Him the same for we are all going to the same place. But His grace that He saved us. So wonderful, so amazing, so... (laughs) incredible the second aspect i want to focus on and and again as i say that salvation alone would be cause to worship on our faces for all of eternity oh how we could praise him and how we should praise him every day for the salvation that he has brought into our lives that we are going to heaven that we have eternal life that our names are written in the lamb's book of life how wonderful how wonderful but it's as if god said that's not enough How is that, that God would say it's not enough? And He said, what I want for my children who receive my Son is to bring them, to shower them with blessing upon blessing. Oh, the riches of His grace and to take them to heaven to be married to my Son. How is that? How amazing. And so, the riches of God's grace, the riches of God's grace. Notice in verse 7 that it talks about those riches. He says, and in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The exceeding, the abundant, the non-stop riches of His grace. And so it says that He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So wonderful. And so uh, Ephesians is a short chapter, you know, a short book. And so in chapters 1 to 3, we're going to look at a couple things uh, just briefly. Uh, the riches that he says that he's poured into our lives. Now, for your homework this week, I'd love if you would read the first three chapters of Ephesians every day this week, and then on Saturday, read the rest of it. Read the rest of it. So, first in, in, in verse 4 of chapter 1, it says that he chose us from the foundations of the world. And how wonderful is that, that God would choose us before anything even happened? God's choice of you is not a mistake this morning. He did not make a mistake in calling you and saving you and setting you free. It was His choice of you. How wonderful is that truth? It says that He's adopted us as His sons in in verse 5 of chapter 1. How amazing that He didn't just make us servants to clean His floors, which we would gladly do for all of eternity, but He said, I want you as my sons, my kids. You're my kids. How is that? And in adoption in that day, you'd have every right to that which a son had. And in that day, you could never unmake that choice once you adopted. And the beautiful thing about adoption is is the father got to choose. And so, it says that in verse 6 of chapter 1, we're accepted in the Beloved. And what a wonderful thing, and I don't know how, what the family situations are like, but how great it is to have a family here. Isn't it amazing? You can go across the world and you just see somebody who knows Jesus and you're hugging each other. To be accepted in that family. To see somebody on the mission field and say, one day we're going to spend a couple hours in eternity and we'll catch up. How amazing. How wonderful. In verse... 7, it says we have the forgiveness of sins through His blood. You guys, His blood is so precious and it cleanses away our sins. They're done away with. They've been paid for. 
How wonderful to have those things forgiven, those things that, oh, we think on so too often. He's forgiven them. And verse 8, it says that He's given us all wisdom, how we need wisdom. In verse 11, it says that we've obtained inheritance. And how wonderful that our inheritance is Him. Guys, do you, the Lord's coming back soon. And what is it going to be like? Can't you just not wait to see Jesus? I mean, it's going to be a long line, but it's worth waiting in to see Him face to face. How is it going to be to hold His hands in yours? To lean in and whisper in His ear, I love you and thank you. How is that? Does your heart not leap? Does not the theme of grace that's like a moon that you can look on become like a sun rising in the morning where you have to shield your eyes for its glory? Oh, it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. It says that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise in verse 13 and 14 that we aren't left alone to go it alone. That He's never leaving us or forsaking us. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says that He's made us alive. In chapter 2, verse 4, that He's bestowed mercy upon us. In chapter 2, verse 6, He's made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In chapter 2, verse 7, that in the ages to come, He might show us the exceedingly riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In chapter 2, verse 10, it says that we are His workmanship. And you guys might have heard and know that that word there, workmanship, is poema in the Greek and where we get our word for poem. How is it that we have a God that's so good, so loving, that He would consider His workmanship as a work of art, as a page of poetry so our lives go? How is it? It says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6, that he's, what is God that He's mindful of man? That means that we're a permanent fixture in His mind. That He's always thinking of us. That He's constantly counting the hairs that are upon our head. That He just wants to be with us. How is that? Grace is so amazing. Sorry for that voice. <laughs> in verse 14... It says that He has given us peace and the wonderful peace that no amount of money could buy, that we're no longer enemies with God. Verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 19, it says that we're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In verse 22 of chapter 2, that we're made a dwelling place of God, that God has taken up residence in our lives. In chapter 3, verse 12, that we have boldness and access with confidence through Him. How is it that that throne that was once a throne of judgment has become a throne of grace which we boldly may enter into to sit on our Father's lap and say, Daddy, how is it? In chapter 3, verse 17, that Christ dwells in our hearts. In chapter 3, verse 18 to 19, that God's great love for us is so great, it's so incredible that He says, who can comprehend it? Its length, its breadth, it's height, it's depth. How amazing is the love of God for you. And it's not just He, you're not. <laughs> if you sit here this morning and you go, yeah, maybe for them, but for me, no! Don't you understand? It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. It's so amazing. The third aspect that I see is the abundance of His grace. Turn with me to Romans 5. 
And we'll pick up on these last couple. In the Romans chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Weist has a translation, and this is a translation, it's beautiful. He says, where sin existed in abundance, grace was in superabundance. And then some more added on top of that. Let me read that again. Where sin existed in abundance, grace was in superabundance, and then some more added on top of that. You see, the idea of that abundance is like the sun and the earth, okay? You know how we need as the earth the sun? Otherwise, we'd be really cold. And so necessary is that sun. And, and the sun expends energy, and the, and the earth uses that energy. But, but isn't it interesting how the, the earth you know, uses less than a percent of that energy that the sun puts out. And so that is the idea and the picture that's painted in this word abundance. That's the idea that's pictured that no matter your life, no matter where you're at, you guys, you can never tap God's grace. God doesn't run out. There's too much. He looks at your life and He says, I've got so much grace for you, you can never run out of it. It's abundant. Where sin did abound. And didn't it abound in our lives? Didn't it just rule and reign? Didn't it just leap up and take over and take control? So His grace abounded so much greater to that. It abounded so much more to that. How wonderful is that truth? There is enough grace in God's heart of love to save and to keep saved for time and eternity every sinner that has ever lived or will live. And there is enough left over to save a million more universes full of sinners where there are such, and then some more. How amazing is that? A million more universe. That's God's grace for you. He loves you guys. And guys, if you take this truth with you, take this truth, let it be a banner in your Christian life that God doesn't love me and never can love me any more than He does right this minute. That God loves me completely now. That I can never do anything to make Him love me less. And I can never do anything to make Him love me more. That is the truth of the gospel of grace. That is the grace of our Lord and Savior. That His love is shed abroad in our hearts. That He pours it out on upon us. And that He just loves us. And that it's not dependent on us. Because there's those times where we feel we failed. Where we fail in relationships. Or, or in the great relationship with Him. And we can feel like God doesn't love me anymore. I've gone too far. I've tapped His love too much. He's forgiven me too much for the same thing. God loves you and you can never tap that. He chose you, you guys. He knows who He was choosing. My, my dad, I love my dad. And, and, and when he was a baby Christian, he was in a restaurant and he was explaining. And he was at a time in his life where he was... Uh, uh, he said, man, I have victory and then I'm just sinning. I have victory and then I'm sinning. I, I'm up and I'm down. I'm up and I'm down. He said, I am the greatest spiritual yo-yo there ever is. And he was just completely bummed out. And he got up to go use the restroom and as he was washing his hands, on the counter was a Dunkin' Imperial yo-yo with a sticker that said, Smile, God loves you. 
guys, God loves you. He loves you down there and He draws you to Himself. He loves you up here and He holds you tight. Man, when, when you have a kid and they're learning how to walk and they stumble and fall, you're not like, why did you fall? And so God is... God doesn't... He knows us. He knows our frame that it's but dust. He loves you guys. Guys, please leave this place today with that so overflowing in your heart that you're loved by God no matter where you're at and you can come to God wherever you're at today. He longs to put His arms around you. He longs to squeeze you and to hold you tight, to kiss your neck. That is our God. That is His grace. And so, um, the next thing uh, is the sufficiency of His grace. So turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or chapter 12. In this Paul's writing, he had received some visions of paradise and the Lord had revealed to him. And he, he talks about how the Lord kept him humble here and the method the Lord kept him humble and the successfulness of that humbleness. And so he says in verse 7, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, the thorn and the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, these things, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And so the Apostle Paul just praying, God, take this away. It's painful. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I most gladly will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And His sufficiency of His grace. And I confess to you that it wasn't until we moved down here that I did not understand this aspect of His grace. What is His grace is sufficient? In my time, I'd been through a painful time and with some close friendships, I had been uh, through just a chronic kind of uh, pain and uh, dealing with that. And, and, and the Lord kept giving me this verse, my grace is sufficient to you. But I was like, God, what is that? Is it, what is it? Is it, is it something tangible that you give me and everything's just okay? Is it, you know, what is this sufficient grace that you talk about? And we remember our definition of grace, that grace is the expression of His limitless love. And it came to me one day, I was disciplining my daughter. She was three years old. And her name is Karis, which is Greek for grace. She's the most beautiful thing you've ever laid eyes on. And it's so hard to do because she's so precious, but I love the, I love the Word of God and what it says about raising children. And so I disciplined her and I was just holding her in my arms and cradling her back and forth. And then she asked me the hardest question I've ever been asked. She looked up with her tear-stained cheeks and she said, Dad, why do you spank me? And I was speechless. And my mind began to race, how do I explain to this precious little girl who's three years old 
that what am I, I'm doing, I'm doing out of obedience to the Lord, that it's driving foolishness, that it's building in her right and wrong, that she could go forth as she gets older with that being raised uh, in that heritage. How do I tell that to a three-year-old girl? How do I tell her that it's going to be good for her? The pain at the present is hard. And finally, the only thing that I could say was, "How, baby, how much do I love you? And it's a game we play. And she perked up and she smiled and she looked at me and she said, from the floor to the ceiling, from the ceiling to the moon, from the moon to the universe, from the universe to heaven and back. And I said, that's a lot, huh? She said, that's a lot. And I said, baby, just know that I love you. One day you'll understand. Just know that I love you. And she smiled and got up and ran out. And I fell on my knees and repented in the spot. Oh, how I've asked God, God, why this in my life? God, why the pain of this? God, why, why, why? And how God says, how much do I love you, Joshua Kaler? And I look at the cross. And He loves me a lot. And, pro- and how He longs for the day to take me in His hands when I can understand. And how I've already seen His fingerprints. And I've gotten older and walked with Him more. And I look and I say, Oh, thank you. So that then these things in my life as I realize that His grace, the expression of His great love for me, I begin to glory in these things because it makes me weak and it keeps me close. It keeps me in His arms and it keeps me seeking His face so that when I am weak, He is my sufficiency and He is my strength. All the sufficiency of His grace for our lives. In every situation, you can hold up any situation And grace will overpower it. Grace will overshadow it. Now Paul, the thorn wasn't taken away. (laughs) But his perspective was changed. And in an instant, it can be changed for you and for me. Finally, this morning, the fifth aspect of His grace. And again, I must say, there is so much to His grace. So much that can be talked about. It could be preached on throughout and on into eternity. But the fifth thing I see, if you turn with me in Second or First Chronicles chapter seventeen. First Chronicles chapter 17, verse... We'll pick it up in verse 7. And David is out on his porch one night and he's got this glorious palace and his eyes are scanning Israel and his eyes look and, and they see and they fall upon the tabernacle. And his heart's moved, and here he is in this place, this palace, and he says, I, what? I want to build a house for God. So he tells Nathan the prophet, he says, I want to build a house for God. And Nathan's so excited, yes, go do it. 
And God comes to Nathan that night. He says, Nathan, you kind of spoke a little quick there. David can't build me a house. There's too much blood on his hands. Nathan's okay. But he says, but I want you to take a message to him. And this is the message that he was to take to David. He says, now therefore, this is what you'll say to David in verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold and from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made your name like the name of great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel. I will plant them and they will dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, also I will subdue all your enemies. Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. David, you can't build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house. And he says in 11, And it shall be when your days are fulfilled and when you must go to be with your fathers that I will set up your seed after you who will be of your sons and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son and I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it away from him who was uh, before you. And I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever and his throne shall be established forever. And David knew that he would, that in these words, the Messiah would come through him and his seed. And according to all these words in verse 15 and according to all the visions So Nathan spoke to King David and then King David went in and saw and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? And so the last thing that I realize about God's grace and this morning, the aspect, is that I know and I begin to understand God's grace is when I'm overwhelmed by God's grace. I know I'm beginning to scratch the surface of this glorious theme in my life, when all of a sudden I come to the place where, no, it is not what I deserve. Yes, you brought me from the sheepfold while I was so young. Yes, you healed me. I was a leper and I screamed, unclean, unclean, and you healed me. Yes, you've bestowed riches and graciousness upon me. You've, you've lavished your love upon me, that your grace abounds in my heart. It's overwhelming. And yes, I'm overwhelmed to the point where you say, God, who am I? Why would you do this? and to sit in His house and to praise Him for it. That's when I know I begin to understand grace. That's when I know. And if you're an unbeliever in this place this morning, the Bible declares that your condition before God is that of a leper. You have no hope apart from the glorious gift. And if you believe in Him, you shall have eternal life. It is free. It is free. If you're a believer in this place, the story of the ten lepers is is interesting because it says that, you know, as they were healed, then only one came back to thank Him, to fall at His feet and to worship Him. And perhaps because of life, life is busy and life is what it is, isn't it? Perhaps... It's been a while since you've come to the foot of Jesus and you've worshipped Him and thanked Him for saving you and setting Him free. And as the Spirit would you know, ask in this room, as Jesus asked that one leper, He said, were there not ten? Perhaps the Spirit would ask and say, were there not 
a couple hundred? And whether in your chair or on your face or however before your God, please don't leave this place without being overwhelmed by His grace, without allowing that theme to so well up in your heart that you just say, thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Because that's a beautiful life. A piano wasn't meant to hold picture frames and to, you know, collect dust. It was made to play beautiful music. So we were made to worship at the Savior's feet. And so it is just right. In relationships, as we are going to be looking at, how can we, as it is in Matthew 18 with all the grace that's been shed abroad upon us, with all the riches that God has blessed us with, how can we ever, 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 ever hold that grace back from another? No matter what they've done, no matter anything, we ourselves have been forgiven for everything. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we pray that this theme of Your grace would be mighty and a part of our hearts right now. That God, as we worship You, Lord, this morning. Lord, we'd kiss Your feet, that we'd wash Your feet with our tears, Lord, our devotion unto You. Lord, in You we move and live our have and have our being, Lord, the glorious, amazing reality of that. So God, bless Your people today, God. God, I pray that You'd cast out all condemnation in this place this morning, God. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God, Your, oh Lord, bring people to You. Bring people back to You, Lord. Lord, renew that and rekindle that fire in their hearts. As Amy Carmichael said, let me not sink to be a clod. Make me Thy fuel, O flame of God. So do that in our hearts today, Jesus. We love You. We worship You. We are forever grateful to You. In Jesus' name, Amen.